degree. Uh, now, I want to I take just a minute, and I want to talk about this idea of suffering and hardship at times. I think we can be tempted to compare others' suffering with our own or our suffering with others, and we can start to think, oh, well, I don't have it that bad. It, 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 could, you know, it could be as bad as somebody else, and we, we tend to downplay our own suffering, or, or sometimes we, we tend to downplay other people's suffering. We say, well, you know, it could be a lot worse. At least you don't have it as bad as so-and-so. Um, and that's, I just want to take a moment to, to share. I used to think that way, like I, somebody would be going through something. I'll give you an example. I, uh, you know I'm a parent of two young children, um, and so we're often very, very tired, right? Um, kids keep us up. We, we sleep less than we used to. And so when I hear somebody without kids say that they're tired, uh, my first reaction is, <laughs> you have no idea. Uh, but then I remember, well... I was tired before I had kids, right? Um, and so sometimes we, we tend to compare suffering with others. That's, that's really not a wise thing to do. Um, it's not a good idea to downplay the suffering of somebody just because it's not as bad as you think it should be or it could be or, or as bad as you experienced. Uh, comparing suffering is, is really unwise. Um, a man named Viktor Frankl, who I'm going to introduce you to a little bit later in the service, uh, writing about suffering, it, it talks about suffering sort of like... Uh, he says suffering is like gas, and if you're familiar with gas, gas fills whatever space it's in. However amount of gas you have, um, it, will, it will fill the space. So if you take you know, this much gas, you put it in a container this big, it'll fill that container. But if you put it in a room, it'll fill the room. It will disperse evenly. And so uh, he says suffering is a lot, a lot like gas in the mind of the sufferer. However much you're experiencing, it fills your mind no, no matter how much it is. So uh, it's, just, it's, not, it's not wise for us to compare our suffering. If somebody's going through hardship... Even if it doesn't seem like it's that hard to you, it is very real and very hard for them. So, so sometimes suffering can be um, as simple as not getting very much sleep as a parent. Sometimes suffering can be you're, you're weighted down by the weight of finals. We have a couple of people who just graduated uh, college and seminary, and, and that can be very real stress. Um, Suffering can be sickness or disease, and it doesn't need to be, sometimes we think only these big diagnoses or these big crises are, are suffering worth talking about, but, but minor things can, can be just as, as real, just as hard as well. So I just wanted to take a minute and talk about that, uh, because at some point we're all going to go through suffering, and we're all going to experience hardship. And one of the things that we've seen, uh, and this is this re religion has known this for a really long time, um, and now some of the other sciences are starting to catch up. One of the things that helps us endure suffering, one of the things that helps us survive hardship is hope, if we can find hope. So we're doing a series about how to find hope and the power of hope so that when, it, when we do experience suffering, some of you I know are going through things now. Others of you, if you're not now, you will at some point in the future go through something hard, um, some sort of trial, some sort of hardship. And if we can find hope, it will help us survive and come through the other side. So we're, we're talking a little bit about that. Uh, we looked last week uh, to see that people from all disciplines are beginning to recognize that hope is incredibly powerful as a tool to overcome suffering, to, to endure hardship. Uh, we looked at some quotes from people who were experts in psychology, who were experts in medicine, who uh, had, had looked at the studies in poverty relief, and in all of these different disciplines we've seen that the ability to latch on to hope is something that can help people escape suffering, endure suffering, and come out the other side without, uh, without suffering having the last word. Um, so before we move on, I just want to review the definition of hope that I gave you last week, because I think hope is one of those words that sort of, we've sort of used it wrongly for a while. Uh, here's, so here's my definition of hope. 
True hope is the confident expectation of future good. The confident expectation of future good. A lot of times we use hope when we really mean wish. I think the example I gave last week was like, um, I can... I can wish all day long that I was like six foot ten and a great basketball player, um, but that's just not going to happen. There's no there's no basis in reality of that for me. Um, so I, I can't hope that I'll be six foot ten because I don't have a confident expectation. But I can hope that if I order a book from Amazon, that it's going to show up on my doorstep. I can have a confident expectation that that's going to happen. So a lot of times we use the word hope when we really mean the word wish. But hope, as it's understood. Uh, you know, in the Bible and hope as it's understood in these different disciplines is, is really grounded in reality. It's grounded in a confident expectation that things really will get better in the future. Uh, it's a genuine belief based in reality. So last week we looked at, at one short verse from Scripture, from the book of Hebrews. This is what we looked at. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, the writer of Hebrews said, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. And when you think about an anchor, an anchor is what, is what a ship puts down in the ocean when it wants to stay put. When there's winds and storms and waves that are blowing it about, the anchor is what helps it stay put, safe and secure in a particular location. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that that's what hope does for us. When we find hope, it helps us anchor ourselves to life or anchor ourselves to something that's going to keep us from being too far blown about and tossed around by the storms of life that we might encounter. So today we're going to look uh, at a, another passage in this letter to the Hebrews. The, this letter to the Hebrews is a first century document written by an anonymous Christian. We don't know who wrote it. Um, some, some scholars actually believe that it may have been written by a, a woman in the first century. Um, we don't know exactly who wrote it. We don't know exactly when it was written. But we do know that it was uh, from the first century. We do know that it was written to a Christian community that uh, was, uh, had some Jewish roots to it. Uh, and in this, in this book, the writer is helping these, these people with Jewish roots ex- understand the, uh, the significance of Christ in terms of what they believe. How, how Christ really is their redemption and their hope and their security for the future. And so here, in, in the, the context of this verse, the writer is talking about how hope is, um, it, it, the hope he's talking about is, is the hope that God will be faithful to his promises in Christ. Right? It, it's a very specific kind of hope, that, that God will be faithful to, to his people through the promises that he made through Jesus Christ. But, but the broader principle, as we've seen, is that hope in general, the expectation of future good really will uh, give us an anchor and help us endure hardship of any kind. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go a little bit later into the book of Hebrews because the, the author of this book is going to give us some, some examples of people who exhibited hope and how it gave them strength to endure. So we're going to uh, begin in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what he says. Or she. Could have been a she. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In other words, the the writer of Hebrews is telling us that faith and hope are intricately connected. There's a connection between faith and hope. And, And here's what I think the connection is. I think what the author is trying to tell us is that faith is the present component of hope. Faith is the present component of hope. In other words, faith is what we do now 
in light of what we believe about the future. Faith is what we do now in light of what we believe about the future. So, so we believe, we have confident expectation that something is going to happen in the future, and, and faith is then our posture towards that thing now. So let me give you a, sort of an example. Uh, this is graduation weekend for many people. So, so students enter into school, enter into college or high school, expecting to graduate. They expect that if they do what they're supposed to do, they have the confident expectation that they will leave with a diploma. And so because they have that confident expectation, because the, the, the university or the school has demonstrated itself to be faithful in giving out diplomas to people who graduate, students then demonstrate faith to the school by studying and doing homework and showing to class and paying tuition, all of those things. Those actions of faithfulness that they take are, are based on their confident expectation that the school will issue them a diploma. So faith is the present component of future hope. It's what we do now in light of what we believe about the future. And so the, the author uh, says that this, this posture is what the ancients were commended for. And he's talking about sort of the heroes of the Jewish faith. Uh, the heroes of the Jewish faith. They were commended, they were praised, they, they received honor because of how they lived in light of a hope that they had about the future. So the rest of Hebrews 11 is the author of Hebrews going through and talking about all of these different heroes from the Jewish faith. He talks about Abraham and Sarah and Moses and the prophets and, and lots of others. And he demonstrates how, how their belief about something in the future caused them to live in such a way during their lives that was related to what they believed about the future. And they were commended, they were praised, they were honored for that. So we're not going to go through the whole chapter. I'm just going to give you one example that the author gives us in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Um, here's what he says. I'm talking about Moses, verses 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, we all know uh, if you grew up in church, you know who Moses was. If, if you didn't grow up in church, Moses is the one. Maybe you've seen the movie with uh, Charlton Heston, you know, Ten Commandments. He, he, uh, or, or maybe the Disney film, right, um, that they made one about, about him too. But Moses is the one who, uh, you know, his mom, uh, it was during a time in Egypt, the, the Hebrews were, were being enslaved in Egypt and uh, uh, they were supposed to kill all the little boys because they were growing too quickly. The Egyptians were afraid of them. So as the story goes, uh, Moses' mom took him and hid him in a basket and sent him down the river and he was found by Pharaoh's mom. And so he was raised in Pharaoh's household and then at some point he began to come into conflict with, well, I'm really a, I'm really a Hebrew and I'm here living in, in Pharaoh's household and, and he began to, to choose to, to side himself with the Hebrews instead of the Egyptians. Uh, and he's the one who then God used to, to, to bring God's people out of Egypt. So there's, there's the backstory. Here's what the author of Hebrews says about him. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, when he left, by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that, that Moses, in his lifetime, demonstrated faith to God by, by forsaking the pleasures of, of 
the, the royalty of Egypt and siding with God's people and bringing them out. Um, and he was willing to endure that hardship and that mistreatment because he believed that God was going to do something for his people in the future. And because he had confident expectation that God would show up and do what God had promised to do, he aligned himself in the moment and he endured through mistreatments and, and, and forms of punishment and persecution and hardship because of his hope in God. It was his hope that God would be faithful to his promises that, that gave Moses the strength to persevere through the hardship. So, so after talking about all, and there's lots of examples, I, I encourage you to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11 sometime this week, and, and if you want to go even further, then you can go back into your Old Testament, and you can sort of read their stories in the Old Testament, and, and see their examples of faith and hopefulness. Uh, but after going through all of these different examples, the, the writer of Hebrews then takes this principle of, of the power of hope, giving people strength to persevere, and he applies it to his audience. He applies it specifically to his audience or her audience in that day and time. And here's what the author says. Uh, con concluding all of this, going through all of these different examples of, of these heroes of the faith, the author says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, what the author is saying is let these examples of hopeful endurance from our history, from the people that we revere, let their examples inspire us to do the same. Now this raises a question. What is the author telling his or her audience to persevere through? Well, the author is writing to a group of Christians who are living in a time when being a Christian was not an easy thing. You know, in our day and time, where, where, where we live, being a Christian is still, for the most part, socially advantageous, right? Where we, we come from a rich history where Christianity has been sort of the dominant religion in America for a really long time. And so being a Christian is sort of socially advantageous. You know, in the years to come, that may change. There are, there are some shifts happening in culture. But for most of us, where we've come from, being a Christian has been socially advantageous. Well, in the first century, it wasn't that way. To be a Christian in the first century, to align yourself with Jesus as Lord, caused a lot of people a lot of hardship. There was persecution. There was uh, oftentimes the loss of, of standing in society, the loss of income. For some, it was the loss of their very life by choosing to align themselves in allegiance with Jesus. There was, there was persecution and hardship for the, just for being a Christian. And so the, the author of Hebrews is writing to these people saying, I know that you're going through a difficult time. I know that it's not easy to, to do what you're doing now. So I want you to persevere. Look, look back to these people who have done so much. Let, let their examples of hopeful endurance inspire you to persevere through the, the race that is marked out for you. Uh, and then the author does a shift. He shifts from from long ago history to very recent history, and he begins to talk about Jesus. Here's what the author says. He says, we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What the author is pointing us to is that Jesus is the ultimate example of hopeful endurance. 
Jesus is the ultimate example of hopeful endurance. And here's how, he, here's how the author tells us that Jesus endured. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, the author is not saying that the cross itself was joyful. Right? If we know anything about ancient Roman crucifixion, we know that it was anything but joyful. The, the, the process of torture leading up to crucifixion and the process of crucifixion itself was some of the worst torture in the history of humanity. There may have been some things that have been worse, but it is among the top in terms of uh, mistreatment and suffering and torture. This is what Jesus went through. I'm not going to get into the gory details. You can find those other places, but, but I'll put it to you this way. The English word excruciating which means very, very painful, comes from the Latin word cruciare, which means to crucify. So our very word for, for immense pain comes from the, the very thing that Jesus went through, crucifixion. So the cross itself was not joyful. There was no joy about being nailed to a cross and, and hung naked in front of lots of people after you've been whipped and beaten and, and, and submitted to all kinds of scorn and shame. There was nothing joyful about the actual experience of the crucifixion. What the author is telling us is that there was a joy that was on the other side of the cross that Jesus fixed his eyes on and it gave him the strength to endure the suffering. It gave him the strength to endure, to persevere through the hardship of the cross. Jesus had a confident expectation of future good. He believed that God would raise him from the dead. He believed that God would raise him from the dead. And like we're gonna, next week, we're going to talk about another aspect that he could look forward to. He knew that there was purpose to the pain. He knew that what he was going through had, had a purpose, that there was something that was going to be accomplished through the suffering, and that helped him to endure. But, but he had a confident expectation of future good. And this hope, this confident expectation that things would get better, that he would be raised from the dead, was an anchor for Jesus. It, it, was, it, it was an anchor that gave him strength and power to endure through the hardship. Hope was an anchor. So then the author takes this and he applies this very specifically to his audience. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, talking about Jesus, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, writing to a people who is going through hardship because of what they believe. He says, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus endured. Focus on how he did it so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And he's telling them that you also have an expectation of future good. That what God did for Jesus, he will eventually do for all of us who place our faith in Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Now, now probably none of us here in the 21st century are going to experience crucifixion. Right? None of us are probably going to have to, have to go through uh, that kind of torture. But all of us will experience hardship, and the hardship that we experience will be just as real for us. And so this principle of, of latching your, your, yourself, anchoring yourself to hope, will give us the power to endure as well. The key to perseverance, the author tells us, is to anchor ourselves to future joy. Now one of the things we saw last week is that this is not merely a religious principle. 
This is a principle that we're starting to see work out in all kinds of different fields, psychology, medicine, poverty, lots of different areas. And so today I want, you, I want to tell you the story of a man named Viktor Frankl. Vic, it's probably pronounced Frankl, Viktor Frankl. Um, he was an Austrian neurologist and a psychiatrist before World War II. Uh, he was also a Holocaust survivor. He and his family uh, were, were taken captive by the Nazis, and he went through uh, several different concentration camps, including Auschwitz. Uh, he, was, he survived the concentration camp, and after he got out, uh, he continued his practice, and he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he recounts his own experience of going through the Holocaust and that terrible, terrible suffering that they experienced. And, and while he was there, it, it really got him thinking. He was, he was a psychiatrist and he was a neurologist. And it really got him thinking about the, the psychology of suffering and how people, you know, what is, what is true about those who survive, what is true about those who don't. And in this book, he ends up talking a lot about hope. Here's one of the things that he writes. He says, a man who could not see the end of his provisional existence was not able to aim at an ultimate goal in life. He ceased living for the future, in contrast to a man in normal life. Therefore, the whole structure of his inner life changed, signs of decay set in. If you read the book, one of the things he talks about is, as after they were in the camp for a while, they began to identify with pretty good accuracy, who was going to be the next to die. They could tell by, by, by outward actions when a person had given up hope for the future. And when a person gave up hope for the future, it, for, for the most part, it was not very long before the conditions ended up causing their death. Uh, he talks about how in one particular year, uh, the, the Christmas of uh, 1944 uh, into January of 1945, there was an uh, abnormal amount of death, abnormally high. And what they realized, he was, he was talking to one of the physicians who was there, all of these, there was a bunch of these people who were uh, in the concentration camp who believed that they were going to be home for Christmas in 1944. And they had anchored their hope, and so they were living for this hope that they would be home for Christmas in 1944. When, when Christmas came and went, and they realized that their hopes for being home for Christmas uh, were no longer tangible, lots of these people died because they had stopped living for something in the future. He goes on to write, he says, uh, any attempt at fighting the camp's influence on the prisoner had to aim at giving him inner strength by pointing out to him a future goal to which he could look forward. It is a peculiarity, it's a hard word to say, it is a peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. And this is his salvation in the most difficult moments of his existence, although he sometimes has to force his mind to the task. And so he talks about when, when people started to lose hope, what they had to do is they had to help these people look towards something in the future that they could anchor themselves to that would give them the strength to endure through the, the terrible suffering and hardship of being in the concentration camp. For some, it was the hope of seeing a loved one again, where they had maybe left a child behind and, and they knew that the child was, was waiting for them to come home. And so it was the hope of seeing a loved one again. For others, it was the hope of returning to, to a meaningful form of work. There was one particular scientist he talks about who believed that there was nobody else who could do the research that he had begun to do. And so the hope of being able to carry on that research gave him the strength to carry on. And what he found was that this hope, 
became an anchor to life itself for people in the depths of despair, in the worst of suffering. That anchoring themselves to something in the future actually anchored them to life itself. In the book, he talks about his own life and his own story. And, and there was a, there was a, a time when he was, because they had to march places, lots of long distances in terrible conditions just to go, just to go do um, hard manual labor for hours at a time. They, they would wake up before the sun came up and they would have to march. And there was one particular day where he just, he didn't think he could do it anymore. He was marching and he was just sinking into the depths of despair. And then he, uh, he had this thought, he just began to sort of daydream and imagine himself surviving the Holocaust, and later giving a lecture about the psychology of suffering. And it was this very, this very mental image of the future, of, of, of being able to use what he had learned in this that gave him hope that day to carry on. So, so here's the application for where, wherever we are. In the midst of hardship, look for hope. In the midst of hardship, look for hope. Uh, let me give you a silly example. As the parents of young children... Uh, Gabrielle and I have hope that we will someday sleep again. <laughs> it seems silly, but you know, when when it's when it's late and there's you know, or, or up early, you know, and we're exhausted, we remember that this phase of life will not last forever. We will, we, it, it will get better, and that you know, just just knowing that, just thinking about that, helps give us the strength to endure in the moment. There's there's always something that we can look forward to, if we're willing to look hard enough. There's always something to look forward to if we're willing to look hard enough. Now that, that doesn't necessarily mean that things are, are ever going to go back to the way they were before, right? Sometimes we have, to, we have to give up the idea that life is going to go back to the way it was before. We have to adapt to a new normal, but we can believe that there will be good in our new normal. We can believe that God will be at work. And one of the things I'm going to talk about next week, so don't miss next week, is how the process of suffering itself can actually give us hope. Not just the future, but the process of suffering itself can actually build hope within us. And I'm going to talk about why I believe that Christianity offers hope beyond compare. But when we look at the examples of the heroes that we read about in the Old Testament, we look at the example of Jesus, we see that as the writer of Hebrews tells us, hope really is an anchor for the soul. So whatever you're going through, wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, there is something to look forward to. Whether you're a Christian or not, you can always find, maybe it's the next hot meal. Maybe you can only get as far as lunch or dinner, but you can anticipate the next hot meal. That works. I can tell you, depending on what you're doing, sometimes just just looking four hours ahead to your next meal gives you enough hope to, to get through a few hours. Maybe it's the next time you get to see someone you love. Maybe it's the idea that uh, once you get through this stage of life, things will be different again. You, you remind yourself that it's temporary. Maybe it's this, this concept of, of you know, everything else. For those of us who are Christians, we have hope that, that, that death is not the final word, that we will be raised to life again. I'll talk more about that next week. But wherever you are, whatever you're experiencing, if we're willing to look hard enough, there's always something that we can look forward to. And when we find that, when we have that confident expectation that things will get better, it gives us the strength to endure now. So in the midst of hardship, look for hope. 
One of the greatest ways I think that those of us who are followers of Christ can, can remember our hope is by sharing together in communion, which we're going to do today. The Apostle Paul writes about uh, communion. He talks about that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we share together in communion today, we remember there's a, there's a past aspect of communion and there's a future aspect of communion. There's actually a present aspect as well as we share together as the body of Christ. But, but communion points backwards to what Jesus did for us. But not only that, it says you do show the Lord's death until he comes, right? So as we gather together around the bread and as we gather together around the cup, we remember that Jesus will be coming back. And so for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, we can anchor ourselves to the hope that Jesus is coming back. So, so if you're going through something now, if you're experiencing suffering or hardship or trial or temptation now, and you don't see an end in sight as we gather together around the bread and as we gather together around the cup, I want you to remember that Jesus will be coming back. And, he, and we've been promised that there will be a future where there's no more sorrow and no more pain and no more death and no more tears. And so as we, as we share together with the bread in the cup, I just want you to remember that we do have hope in Christ. We do have the confident expectation of future good. And my prayer is that that hope will give you strength to endure whatever hardship you may be going through. So I'm going to say a prayer for the communion now. I'll invite Henry to come up with me. And as we, um, you, can, uh, we'll just, you can form lines and come up. Um, and as we, as we partake, um, we'll, uh, Mandy and Austin will we'll sing us a song. When the song's done, I'll come back up. Um, and we'll, we'll take the bread and we'll take the cup together. I'll say a word of prayer and then we'll commence with our church vote. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise, the, for, the, for the reality that hope gives us strength to endure. We thank you for the stories that you have preserved both in scripture and in history of, of men and women who have demonstrated remarkable hope uh, so that we too can look to their example and be inspired. Father, I pray for those uh, in this room, for those who are watching online, for those who may listen to this in the future, that whatever they may be experiencing, whatever hardship they may be going through, that you would help them to, to latch themselves onto a confident expectation that things will get better. I pray that you would help them see that, that there is something to look forward to, that it might, be, it might be small, it might be big, but there is always something if we're, if we're willing to look hard enough. And I pray that if we're, for those who are having trouble, for those who are having trouble even identifying it, that you would reveal to them something to hope for. Fathers, we share in this bread and this cup, I pray that you would remind us of the hope that is laid out for us in Christ and the promise of his return. So we thank you for this bread and we thank you for this cup and, and all that they represent. And I pray that, that the promise of the return of your son would give us strength to endure any hardship we may be experiencing here and now. I thank you for these things in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.